Hey, welcome right. to the Role Playing Exchange. I just cut Chris off. I'll probably even leave his little sound in there of dismay as he was getting ready to begin. But nah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, I don't like starting these things. Pretty much, we're going to talk about our experiences with this year's what is hopefully going to be the annual Red Marcus Gauntlet that we've you know, fallen in the footsteps of the elevation one we did the previous year. And Chris, you offered yourself as tribute for said game. So we're all back together. So I, I wouldn't say I offered myself as tribute as you guys offered yourselves unto me as tribute. Oh, okay. Because so, the gauntlet's hard to run, but it's harder to play in. <laughs> so in a slight deviation here of talky episodes let's go around the table i'll start with myself introduce yourself and the character you played and then we'll just kind of jump into the scenario so uh, hi at the top of the alphabet again this is adam and i played shit boots <laughs> boots i was like there's so many names Boot. We had two shoe name based names, and you still screwed up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm also playing. I played Skids, and I'm also playing uh, Shake right now in another Red Marcus game. It all, it's all blending in. But yeah, so that, Adam, I played three different characters for the 10K alone. You will get no sympathy from me. I expected none, sir. But anyway, moving past this awkward exchange, let's go to the next letter of the alphabet. What is that next letter, Adam? It's B. I've got the beginning part down, unless there's a double A. Awesome. Awesome. So, hi, I'm Brownie. Uh, I played Greybeard. Uh, he was one of the multiple dads uh, for this game. Uh, retired, kind of quirky, a little bit uh, not paying attention to what's going on uh, Seattleite. Hey, man, you got to catch those U-Beasts. Yep, yep. Or what is it? Um, Montana Cryptid Rancher? Is that where we're at now? <laughs> yeah, we're at yeah. Cryptid Rancher, yes. Yeah, Montana Cryptid Rancher. It's like Monster It's like Monster Rancher, except uh, less Japanese. Slime Rancher, but Cryptid, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that takes us over to... Well, uh, that's Chris. Um, I didn't play a character. I played the market. You played so many characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so I, I am the one who played Montana, since uh, this was this was the game set in the Conda. But I believe up next is. Let's make Adam do it. Yeah. Who is next, Adam? Adam has fallen into the show. I, I was going I was thinking Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hello, I'm Jesse. I'm the Randall from Discord. I played Bird. Um, the son of the two dads, one bio dad and one stepdad, and we couldn't get the third dad in as an adoptive work dad, but um, yeah. I suppose things, things will occur when they occur. Don't worry, I felt like it. <laughs> You're an honorary member of the Council of Dads, don't worry. Oh, the Council of Dads. And uh, Bud is also a highly stressed out steward. Incredibly stressed out. Yeah, why is that, buddy? You think you made some choices? We're kind of getting the cart ahead of the horse here, Chris. Yeah, true. We are, we are. But yeah, so uh, let's let's start off with a quick... Um, uh, well, hey. way. Oh, hey. oh, I'm sorry, Nick. Yes, hello, I'm Nick. I played Legs, the latent bionic, who was looking to replace his limbs with robot parts. So when he does die, if it wasn't due to head trauma, he wouldn't hurt anyone else. And questioned multiple times why he was part of this group. 
<laughs> Why would you do that? I mean, it oh, seems for, like something for, to do. For many, many, many reasons. But <laughs> I was desperate for money. <laughs> was was he hanging out in the hardware store parking lot with a sign? And did we just come up with our truck? I don't remember what our origin story was. Mm. I can't, but let's, let's kind of jump into the origin story here. So how did you get this? Like, I, I, you said, like, we're doing it, and I said, okay. So I didn't pay attention to anything while everybody was developing this. I just jumped in at the end and made my goofy suggestion. But uh, how did this said, I mean, this particular campaign come about, Chris? Okay, so this campaign, origin, uh, the origin of this campaign was I hate the health insurance industry. Um, and I work in the health insurance industry, so I have a lot of, like, up-close and personal, um, interactions with it, and from there, mainly through the pharmaceutical industry. And so, this made me think about stop-loss, um, that one corporate, the, the one, like, vaguely successful corporation in the loss that still goes, still deals with, uh, Homo Sacor. And also Scrape, the famous facility for creating suppressin. You say famous, I hear infamous, it's all the same. I mean, technically it's only a rumor. No one knows it actually exists, but this is a Chris game, so of course the horrible things exist. And it used to have a lot of drywall, right? Yeah, used to. <laughs> so, you have your basic concept here, mm-hmm. making everything about stopwatch... And you obviously... Uh, no, not stopwatch. Stop loss. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he still does it. He still does it, folks. Mm-hmm. And I never will stop. All right. I was half tempted in the middle of the gauntlet to be like, Chris, just rename your nickname in Discord stop loss to help Adam out. But I was like, no, let's see how long Adam goes before he realizes it's stop loss. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So my basic concept for the campaign was... You are all. You all work for. You are all takers at the the Anaconda Enclave, uh, trying to make money. And stop loss has moved into the area, and it's utterly fucking up the economy for everyone. Which is kind of what I was trying to draw in every single session. Okay. So, uh, with that, any questions or anything about the basic idea? No, I think you told the story really well. I mean, they came in and they pulled a Walmart, kind of. Mm-hmm. There, there was there was some places in my recollection that it wasn't it wasn't as blatant because it was implicative, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah. Like a big a big idea for this too was I wanted everyone to feel like they were going insane. Because like they see these things, it's like, oh that that obviously means they're they're out to get us all. And all the NPCs are like, that's that's a bit of a leap, dude. Well um my thought is, um, we got to the point of where, oh, it's obviously them, but there were also points building up to it, I think in session two, or job two at least, where obviously the farm's new buyer was stop-loss, right? That was, that was what happened. They were cutting off ties and fucking up with the economy so they could isolate the community and take them, right? Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, but, but we as characters, didn't actually figure that out. And I don't think any of us actually made the leap in character other than, oh, they were like, oh, the mysterious buyer is obviously stop-loss. It was, oh, stop-loss is also coming in. Like, I think we 
Um, didn't even think of, oh, are they here for us? Are they here for them? What's going on here? Etc. Etc. It was just like, oh, there's some dudes in the forest, and we should go Call of Duty on them. Yeah, you guys had a very, very specific way of responding to pretty much every threat, which was become spooks. Oh. Not well, necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's kind of take the tape back a little bit here. So sure. we've we've got our concept going on, and then. Like I said, there was a character creation and choices, and you all put in a, a lot more effort into it in the beginning than I did. So I think I have a question for Brownie and Jesse on this. Since we basically played Cormac McCarthy's The Road with uh, Pokemon, um, mm. what exactly, like, how did you all begin with the concept of father and son, which I just kind of turned into my two dads? Well, we figured out we needed um, our um, local uh, oh, steward, that's it, uh, Jesse, to have one of the uh, co-players be his dependent, and I just offered myself up for that uh, from the get-go. And then we did a little bit more development, a little bit more talking, and that's how we arrived at having the two dads. If I remember correctly, it was... Okay, uh, Brownie offered himself up as tribute immediately. Then I was like, we should probably get input for everyone. And then uh, Adam joined the mix. Nick never got into the running, I think. And then it was talking between you two. And then it came, oh, my two dads. And then we joked about it in 80s sitcom style and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we got to the point where, okay, Brownie's dad. And if things happen, I'll take the Charisma 2 upgrade. Um, I mean the potential upgrade, or whatever the whatever the term is, and I'll take Adam as dad because we reconnected, and you know we had that arc planned if possible, but it didn't work out budget wise. Yeah, yeah. It, sometimes uh, uh, arc plots like that don't work out in really short form games like this. So that I happens. kind of didn't expect it to happen, but you know, if it happened, that would have been nice. It sort of happened a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like, I think the issue like it, did, it didn't go it ahead. didn't happen mechanically. Is what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. It happened like organically, yeah. narratively. Yeah. From from witnessing people reconnect and establish relationships that never existed beforehand of that nature, I just kind okay. I kind of you know I took a, a more less intrusive kind of role with uh, with the parenting thing. Yeah, it actually kind of makes made sense the way you did it because you're you're the absentee father. Mm-hmm. I I kind of assumed you only found out out about him like as an adult, right. or met him as an adult. Probably the met uh, probably the meeting yeah. part. Now, not to make this too much about the three of us, I'm kind of also interested. Nick, explain explain uh, legs to us here. Or, yeah, legs, boots, feet, toes. So, <laughs> when we all signed up for the gauntlet, Chris did say that there was a couple of tough spots that he would prefer to see played, and one of them was latent. And I think Stewart was jumped on immediately. And I don't remember if another one was jumped on, but I was just like, sure, I'll be a latent. I haven't had a latent character before. And then so, just looking at it, uh, Chris also said that it was going to involve a lot of 
like the the medical field and stuff like that. So I was like, well, what can a Leighton do to tie into the medical field besides being extremely, uh, you know, uh, contagious? So I was like, oh, it'd be interesting if I uh, got a uh, prosthetic leg. And that rolled my thinking of, what if he just wanted to not be dangerous to people what when I he just- died? cut my legs off exactly so then i was like two prosthetic legs but that's such a total waste i love it (laughs) (laughs) yeah even during character creation like nick and i were talking about it and i'm like nick you need extra bounty just for this you gave me one extra bounty which is fine (laughs) i mean it it bought off the, the clunky at least Oh, no, I didn't buy Clunky on the first job. I used it to buy silence on my handgun. <laughs> right. <laughs> or not my handgun. Um, I actually went with a bow and arrow and something else. Oh, a garrot. Yeah. <laughs> right. A garrot. <laughs> yeah. It, it had me buy off something on the bow and arrow. I don't remember exactly what at the moment. Uh, probably but, yeah. the cap, which gets rid of... Uh, loud yeah or clunky can't remember but i I just went like gauntlets are going to be extreme i might as well choose uh not exactly a silly character but a tough character because my last character next was also really tough with all that debt i had to pay back so it was like being down a bunch of starting cash because of bionic legs that's nothing Right, and then following along the theme we'd set up with the kind of oblivious, uh, not paying attention, distracted dad, uh, I also went for the healthcare angle with immune, but doesn't know it. Okay. See, I never knew that you'd picked immune. I just, I, you know, (laughs) I didn't know how that worked out. Yep, just immune, but doesn't know it. We well, definitely figured it out on that uh, that second mission in the woods, though, didn't we? Yes, we you sure fucking did. Yes, we did. That was that was great, and I I think to like my own like I said I wasn't paying attention. Well, wasn't paying attention. I was kind of one. I kind of decided to fill a role, and I had never played a negotiator, so I can I was up for that. But then again, I wanted to be more combat, so I kind of liked the idea of. of making a fenceman who is also the face. So, I mean, it, he was good at certain things. I mean, it did, I found that that kind of build gave me several uh, deficiencies that I had to address throughout gameplay. But, yeah, that was kind of the mechanical choice. Uh, I think I was goofing around when I said I'll be his dad too. And I stuck with boots just because I was thinking about Army recruiters in high schools after... You know, I see them quite often with what I do. So I was thinking, you know, that's just kind of my, my route. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, kind of went with that. And yeah, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't really, I guess the face is defuncto kind of leader or something like that. And I don't know if I was actually the leader or if I just thought I was the leader through my uh, tough spot. I would actually go so far as to say that this group didn't have a leader. We didn't have anyone in any strict role like that. Mm-hmm. It was actually a very interesting dynamic. We seemed very pirate-like, like battlemaster, quartermaster, captain, quartermaster, something like that. Yeah, like there was a delineation of responsibility. 
I kind of yeah, felt like, like I was clean up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would I'll get into up. that on every job. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we will. Oh, um, before I forget, since everyone else mentioned their character concept and how they got up, um, my, if I recall correctly, Bird, I made like 12 different characters and I just told you which one should I play, I believe was what happened. Yeah, basically, and we were like, that, that's not how we work, pick what you want to play. Yeah, but uh, that, that, this is one of my, oh my first gosh. experience with you guys, and I wanted to um, facilitate a story, if that made any sense. And it did make you sense, and we yeah. did got bird. And there was, and now I have a bank of characters that we can play with later. Exactly. So, so bird, since um, you know, um, he he was the guy over his head in most aspects of his professional life, but I think he has a very good home life, if that makes any sense. Uh, I would say so, honestly. Like, like, um, he developed into the archetype of the... Well, he's a Zuma. Like, he'd be a Generation Z Zuma, and I guess Bounty would have been a millennial. Probably, so, like, an Adam age of millennial, though. Yeah, like an older millennial, and it's the future, and you know, it's like, uh, what's that thing? Um, I must protect this child at all costs, and the child is saying, destroy the bourgeoisie, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and I will remind you that I am roughly a one Thornsburg old um, <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah, so so Bird... <laughs> oh no, I know, I was if, making fun of multiple people there. Yeah, if we're, going to, if we're going to talk about how it connects to the theme, he's the... He's the... He was part of... He's like... Definitely the guy who's cannot get into adult, but has really like good supportive life, so he he adults anyway. Uh, so he's kind of in arrested development, like a little bit, maybe. Well, that's just the PTSD. I mean, also probably the PTSD. That'll that'll do it. Like, there's a lot of ways you can interpret the character, but as an archetype, if this were the sitcom of Fuller House or whatever we named it, um, he's definitely. He's definitely the okay. He's confident, but he's like such. He's got he's got props. You're the Uncle Jesse, basically. I'm Uncle Jesse, or I'm Bernie Stelson from How I Met Your Mother. Like, obviously, he's hyper confident, but obviously yeah, but... He's got issues. Yeah. Oh, clearly. Clearly. Okay. Awesome. That's kind of a sweet spot you can play with pretty much any steward character because having that steward spot allows you to do shit that a normal um, person couldn't do. Yeah, and the problem is, oh, um, we didn't actually use it. No, you used it a few times. Yeah, but we never actually used it in the way that it was supposed to be used. Um, sort of. You actually, you guys got drop-offs, you got like things to help you, you got like overpasses and stuff. Like, it, You also got a lot, a lot more information that you wouldn't have been able to find if you weren't a spook. Yeah, but it was never like, oh, I need X distraction yeah. or thing. Do we want to talk sessions or something? Yeah, let's kind of summarize. I'd kind of like the idea of two of you um, kind of setting us off by what your main concept was as a session. And then, yeah, we can kind of hit a few highlights. I don't think it needs to be a, you know, bulleted event by event kind of playthrough. So, you know. Oh, yeah. What was uh, so? What was the first mission, Chris? And uh, what were what was your initial premise? And you know, did it survive contact with the players? So my first mission. Uh, one thing I should mention: I named 
basically every single character or mission or job or anything after a after a Pixies song. So you're going to see a, a lot of references to like 90s grunge. But um, the, the first mission was I Believe in Mr. Greaves, which is off the 1989 album Doolittle. The basic concept for that idea was a taker's gone missing who shouldn't go missing, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. And to y'all to figure out what's going on. And basically the way I had that that job plotted out is um, you could go uh, go about it a few ways. You could just like go to the cabin, see that there's been a uh, somebody's died, or there, there's been like a suicide note, and just like clap your hands there and walk off and get the money from the widow, and she's probably going to end up on the streets. You can try to go after the caravan of folks, and then try to take out the caravan so you can get him back. Which you find real complication is that he found out that he's immune. Stop loss knows they're immune, and he's been selling immune folks. So, in my initial playtest for this one, um, it was David and Crazon working together, and they ended up making a double profit by selling out Mr. Greaves and then giving the giving like half of it to his widow. You can make bank if you do what they did, yeah. or you can stick to your morals and do what you guys did. There's basically no good answer in that situ- in, in that scenario. Okay. Observation. I don't think in the moment, if we did think of a double profit scenario, we wouldn't think, oh, turn around and sell them back to the guys we stole them from. Because I think we're a little, we were a little bit more cowardly than that, or at least more concerned about splashback. Because we did vehicle, mm-hmm. we gave it to Greaves, and we were like, never speak of it again. Yeah, I mean, that that is a good way of doing things too. Like. Basically, what you guys did was the most moral route, but yeah, we weren't even like, oh, we know where there's some heavy machine guns, a bunch of bodies with armor, mm-hmm. two vehicles that you could bleach and maybe use with good batteries and tires. Um, like, we didn't even like sell the remains of that stuff. Nope. Ow. What? Honestly, that that's when I started really con- uh, congealing with this group, though. That's kind of my. My one complaint about just the the type of play that can be brought out in red markets is it brings out, you know, because you're dealing with economic issues and you know hard times and all that. It kind of kind of bring out the worst in some people. And we did kind of go back on that through necessity, unfortunately. But for the most part, we kind of played a. Says the man who executed somebody in a chair, the moral route of sorts, and uh, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, well, look, <laughs> you know me, man, I double down, but uh, you know I, that was a, that was you know that first session showed me that not only was the, the players all on the same page, but uh, the the player characters were as well. Mm-hmm. Nick, how about you, man? Why you got to add on this one here? Nothing much. There's for the, for the job overall you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think that we weren't the the best of taker groups just yet because in certain situations people just ran into things like in the wildfire. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I mean, it was good because we it was our first job together, and I'm glad that we we grew as a team from this point. 
Because <laughs> there was a lot of just people acting on their own instead of as a group. Like, ran into the wildfire. Um, I forget who, but someone attacked the people we were trying to negotiate with, and a fight broke out. Just a whole bunch of things. And I think that after this mission, we started working a lot more as a team. Yeah, That was mostly me. Like, you, you have a fight for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, but Jesse also was, like, being coerced to run into the fire. Like, that That was... Well, my character was didn't know that. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, my, my, my character expect you to follow. Like, he was, he said something along the lines of, I'll go get it, don't worry about it. And then everyone followed, because why not? Well, you ran can't. in, and then the dads went, son, and ran in. And then I'm like, I'm alone, and ran in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Though, um, yeah, that was me. Mm. Got thoughts about this mission as well. I think in this episode too, uh, we one of the big highlights was the introduction of the uh, Pokemon knockoffs. Wasn't that episode one? Yeah, no, that was that was episode one. We uh, captured a Quisette, you beast. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you got five bounty out of it. Yeah. The yeah. the you beast speculation market. That Which definitely you? exists. And it's not just 70% spies and 30% incredibly grognog nerds. Mm-hmm. I was actually sort of basing it off of how uh, the Russian mafia uses Steam cards uh, as a way of money laundering. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I heard about that. Mm-hmm. So, Brownie, you have anything to add on that first session? Any impressions or things that kind of stick out to you? Um, if it's the one that I remember, I think we did way better in that fight against the heavily armed men than, than uh, I would have thought we would have. It it helps that um, I always go for cinematic responses to things, and uh, Jesse did like criti- critically succeed on a sniper roll. I'm like, okay, he hit a gas can. Yeah, I thought to myself, holy crap, that worked. Yeah, if if you hadn't have like critically succeeded or like spent a will to critically succeed, it it would have gone a lot more paraphrased real fast. If I, yeah. if I remember correctly, it was uh, Brownie saw a gas can. Brownie told son, shoot gas can. Gas can got shot, and then stuff happened. I would have to re- re-listen to the recording, but I believe that was what occurred. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, And we did get a callback to the previous gauntlet with a Breadbox reference there at some point. As a matter of fact, you did. I was, I'm not privy to that, but all right. We had a car that we called the bread box that was awful. Ah. Because we were the breadwinners. That was our ticker name. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) So about the first mission, I got a couple of thoughts that I'd like to share. Go for it. So the first is that there was a lot of, incidental happenstance that I was curious if you foresaw happening like you couldn't you created a a condo right you created the area and all those people and that was your thing right yeah that was my thing and then then you um, when we messed with the preppers and decided to uh, social media dox them and show the receipts as it were did you expect us to immediately, like, like I assumed you improvised the fact that the treasurer guy was being chased in the wilderness and then we had blackmail on him 
and then he said he'd pay us ten bounty, but he couldn't pay us then. And then mm-hmm. immediately, like a couple hours afterwards, we're like, "Hey, yeah, we're calling that favor now and stuff." And then, you know, check that email, and then the dead drive happened. And I was curious, like, did you foresee that occurring? Um, I usually try to give myself as many options as possible as a GM because. I know as a player, I'm a sneaky motherfucker, and I like coming up with nasty little plots. So uh, I just assume, what would I do in this position? And usually that can give me an idea of like, okay, so if they see this happening, um, the whole like the whole uh, prepper thing, that was 100% me improvising. But I thought I pulled it off fairly well. Very good. Mm-hmm. And the second thought I had... Were you going to do anything with that guy in the cabin? Like, was that ever a callback that just didn't happen because there was no time? Um, so what's going on there is the guy in the cabin is has recently turned. Just straight up heart attack. Weirdo prepper um, from before the crash. He was like on a terrorist watch list. Um, so if you wanted to look into it, you had the options to. But um, it's much more fun. It's like you, you just have to go to this thing to do this thing to kill a person. You have no idea who they are. And that's your job. Do you remember? I think I, tr- I think I tried to use him as like a false flag or hold, hold him in the back pocket, but it never came up. Yeah, it, that one would have been kind of hard to pull off, honestly. Mm-hmm. You would definitely have to use some steward ties for that. Yeah, it just never came up. Yeah. Um, Adam, what were you going to say? Not... Honestly, I've forgotten, but I was thinking back. We start. This was our Friday night game, right? Yes. Okay. So well, technically, it was a Saturday morning game. Okay. Yeah, Saturday morning because Friday was Christmas. Yeah. Okay. So, kind of like, yeah, I have no idea where I was going with that. I'm ready to move on to the next episode. I can't. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, sure. One last thing. One last thing I'd like to touch on. Sure. Um. As Nick said, I shot the guy during the negotiations and things occurred. Um, That was the result of me being able to see uh, those two. This was before we had Ghoulnet, I think. Correct. And I saw um, the CEO, the leader, or whoever you want to call him, notice where Adam was and send two guys after him. And I was like, can't have that. Yeah, no. Yeah, but... You also didn't know for sure. Like, maybe it was just a general area thing. Like, maybe Adam could have talked his way out of it. I just felt like it was a little too hasty to just talk off the leader with an instant headshot. Although you weren't trying for an instant headshot. <laughs> yeah, that, that, just, that just occurred. So, um, yeah, like, I was curious if we had either A, what would have happened if Adam had not been discovered, or B, if you had allowed those two soldiers to get in close? Um, if Adam had not been discovered, you could possibly have worked out some sort of deal, but most likely they would have turned they would have turned on you. All right, and option B, um, if I had hesitated, um, if you had hesitated, they would have been looking for Adam, and it would have been much harder for Adam to get his shots off. So you actually did the right thing. Yeah. On um, like the the long the like as things turned out. Cool. Very curious on what those guys thought, but that's discussion for later. (laughs) So, so that takes us on to our next job, um, (laughs) which was 
for Elder Ethel Hildebrand. That's correct. Um, I believed I called this one Bird Dream of Olympus Mons. So, uh, basic concept for this one was uh, the elders have been frozen frozen out from a farm that's kind of gone dark recently. So it's your jo- your guys' job to get there and figure out if the the farm has fallen or re- and renegotiate with them if you have to, or like basically dig through the um, the wreckage for their eggs to make your own farm. Like um, that is an option you guys could have done if you were less moral. And I'm glad you guys decided to play pretty moral characters because it would have been just humanity checks throughout if you decided to watch everyone get killed by vectors and then like go through and just get as many unbroken eggs as you can that i don't think was ever brought up as an option like not Um, not brought up as an option like we could have thought of it but i meant like that wasn't within the mission statement of us being there so we would have probably just gone home after everyone died and be like yeah everyone died yeah i mean that would work too not that it would work. I mean, like, we wouldn't... I wonder how we would have thought of, oh, we want the eggs. And we didn't know Elder Hiddleman wanted the eggs. She wanted trade to be reestablished. And sometimes reestablishing trade means scavenging through the wreckage to see what you can fix. Gotcha, gotcha. So, as, as far as uh, that particular thing goes, I, I, I began picking up a pattern at this point in time, because it seems like, of course, Brownie and Jesse were paired off with their father and son duo, and then, you know, Nick and I were just kind of wandering around, do like we kind of, you know, buddied off that way as well. So I guess this was our second encounter going out doing stuff by ourselves. Yeah, we we did a couple things by ourselves. Like in the first job, we mm-hmm. I don't know. This was actually the actually no. This was the first time that we kind of went off on ourselves. By ourselves. Yeah, this is when you two went, like, all SEAL Team 6. Yeah. I just remember the leg before the whole job site thing. Oh, God. Where I, I recognized the leg, but I didn't want to metagame it, so I was letting other people take charge. Until someone's like, oh, he's turning vector. I'm like, okay, well, I'm latent. And two, my whole main character concept is to prevent people from getting infected. So that's why I charged the vector in the room. <laughs> That was that was you were the MVP that game. I forgot about that leg encounter there, but yeah, man, you all were making me nervous as fuck with that. So I was laden. It's fine. I wasn't going to be infected, and (laughs) if I did turn, I would have been like using my arms to slowly crawl at you. (laughs) So this is also. I'm gonna go ahead and give a peek behind the curtain. This is the point. I think we stopped after that leg, so we we didn't actually handle the town till or the the homestead till the next day. Is that correct? Yeah. I, I was getting pretty sleepy by at that point. I'm just like, okay, I, I, I'm gonna need to take a break. I I think that we we actually got to the job site and we did an initial of what's going on here. Right. Yes. Chris explained it, and that's when we ended. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. Because um, the next session started with uh, all the spooks and shit. But yeah, like the concept for that was basically you show up, you, you find this other elder that Ethel that fucking hates Ethel. And so I was looking for an excuse to cut an excuse to cut her out. Yeah. And our proposition was you should do trade with her. We'll make sure she gives you more. Plus we'll make it so she has to deal with technology so you can fuck her over every time you want to talk to her. And we left that proposition on the table as um the night ended. Mm-hmm. 
It was honestly the way you were making it sound like it sounded like we were almost we were almost done, and that there was going to be a huge insurrection vector attack thing planned. <laughs> I, I, that was by design, actually. <laughs> Regarding the lake that uh, metagame possibilities, I also recalled this like from the list in my mind doing it, and I tried not to metagame it. Though, um, during the situation itself, there were several um, misunderstandings on my part. Like, were there two girls? Were there one? And we needed it. We had to get that sorted, and I think we handled that well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys, you guys did pretty well. Yeah, We were all a little punch drunk at that point. It, it got a little bit confusing, and I think mm-hmm. that... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, 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 I agree. It, it was definitely getting confusing at that point. <laughs> I think like... I... Like it was, was she stowed in the kitchen or was she outside or is that a new one? I asked, is that a new one? It was a new one and then it wasn't a new one and then et cetera, et cetera. Gotta admit, I don't actually remember a lot of this leg. This was a couple of weeks ago and I had. The, basically, what they don't tell you about the gauntlet is it burns through all of your operating procedure uh, processing power as the GM. Yep. But I think though. Uh, going over uh, just to kind of my my two cents on the leg and then we can kind of go on to the main thing is that I enjoyed the opportunity. I think this is the first time that my character interacted with, um, with bird and uh, you know, explicitly interacted, like take the shot, take the shot, take the shot. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that, you know, and I, I was not familiar with the leg because I've never, like, I have never actually read that part of the book because I haven't had to run yet, really. So, like, I just never needed it. So I'm totally glad that decisions were made. And, you know, I was, uh, I, I didn't want the little girl to uh, have to go down and all that. So you, you all, you know, saved me a little bit of heartache and turmoil there. So, I'll, you know, thank you very much on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding why I didn't take the shot, it wasn't because I knew she was not alright or anything, like, as a player. It was because I thought, like, here was the here was the um, situation, and this was, I think, when I tried to, like, pull a moment of, wait, 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 let's, let's out of character, establish everything objectively. Because I thought she collapsed midway toward the barn and she was having some sort of epileptic fit and then I was being told to take the shot because that was probably something. I even had the drone come in close to figure out what was going on. But then she moved towards the two, the barn doors and that was happening and then the back of the barn was <clears> getting <throat> cracked up and it was very it was very confusing as to where what things were and where things were facing. And then my character came running in, and he had to run across the field. And um, I think he critically... Didn't he critically fail his stealth check or just fail it or something? He just failed it, I believe. Yeah, and it was like, no idea of... You know, that's the that's the weak point of Theodore the Mind. We need to all make sure we're all seeing what it is. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you guys see a door? I picture double-hung door, picture signal door door knob is it a lever is it ground etc 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 yeah and um but uh yeah i think we when we everything got settled down we we figured out and threaded a needle yeah i think you did 
it was it was definitely a tricky situation. At the end of the day, pretty much all of my Red Markets game are going to have the word tricky in there somewhere. So speaking of tricky, why don't you go ahead and lead us into the concept of what's happening at the uh, at the homestead, or not the homestead, okay. but the farm. So at the farm, um, basically Stop Loss has done everything they can to cut off as much information as possible in the area. Like I even I think I even said that Ubix was acting spotty at the time. Um, basically, what they were trying to do was cut off the farm from from the outside world so that they could send in a uh, crew of vectors to make it look like just a random stampede went through while they were actively just seeing who got bit and didn't turn so that they could uh, black bag them. Okay. It's honestly an utter coincidence that you guys were there at that time. I mean, it's not an utter, utter coincidence just because narrative purposes, that's fun, but they didn't expect you to be there. Yeah. I didn't expect syringe. I mean, dark guns with light, and I didn't expect um, Brownie's character to like. I have such a pivotal role in that. Like uh, we were like Nick and I were out in Bird too, so uh, Legs and Bird and Boots were out, you know, doing all kinds of things. And then, um, oh God, I'm trying to remember what was your character's name again, Brownie? Greybeard. Greybeard was. Uh, yeah, to help and um, direct things. Kind of in the wall to help for, for the escape, and then got nibbled on a little bit. Yeah. And uh, did anyone was I the only one that didn't know that he was immune? Nobody knew I was immune up until uh, the blood test. Yeah, <laughs> like that. That was actually a crisis point, both objectively at the player level and um, narratively at the character level. Oh yeah, I think that was some of the best care, the, some of the best uh, role playing we had in this uh, entire campaign. Um, Just, but, everyone was losing their minds. But here's a here's a um, here's a I guess you could call it criticism. Is that uh, again theater of the mind? Mm-hmm. We we all had diff- we were all operating on different things. Like I didn't know that Preston no longer worked on immunes as a player, but. But so, but I believe you knew because you had a conversation with Caleb, and that was a thing that got changed. Yeah, that's and, something that that's like gone back and forth a few times. I actually had to clarify it with Caleb twice. Yeah, and um, I believe a little way that could have been handled better. From like we know that as players, but what if we known that as characters? But then things just progressed so fast, so quickly. Choices had to be made now, 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 now. That. I was really hoping someone, one of you were going to try to shoot Brownie in the chest with it. Mm. Well, not even not even the uh, suppressant, but we were we uh, there was some speculation that the <clears throat> the stuff in the in the syringes from the guns was some kind of miracle cure that they were testing out. I was like, yeah, I, I'm bit. Just put it in me. We'll see what happens. And it would have been hot blight, <laughs> and you wouldn't have turned, which would have told everyone that you're immune, <laughs> or that it was the miracle cure that we thought it was. Also true. <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, like... We got the stim sauce in Elevation. Yeah. So, yeah. like, my, me as a player, I'm curious. Would we we as characters known that suppressin doesn't work on immunes? I think uh, that it probably would end up being basically like it was for us now, where some of us think one thing and some of us think another, because in real life, people think different things that aren't necessarily real about whether something works or not. True, true. But... 
Like, there's always in... Like, multiple realities exist, both in real mm-hmm. life and in uh, narrative stories. And, you know, that's that's just a concept that we have to deal with. But um, I'm curious of whether or not... Like, what, what do we know, like, in-universe, as characters living in the Lost, would know definite for sure this is a thing? Like, sure, like, aberrance and that stuff is all up in legend and can just curveballed out of anywhere, but we, I would like, say... do we know? Like, does the average Joe in the Lost know, oh, if you're immune, they're going to scrape your bone marrow? Yes. If, if The average Joe in the Lost knows that if you're immune, your your bone marrow is used to make suppressin. But, from, the, from there, uh, what I would say is the average of what people know is bites are not 100% effective, uh, infectious. Hot, but, hot blight is much worse um, if you get bitten and you don't turn, that doesn't necessarily mean you're immune, but that means people who would be interested to find out are probably gunning for you. So right. you gotta keep that shit quiet. So this would probably be like a tough spot related what you know sort of thing. Like I as a steward would yeah. probably have been like, oh, you got the memo. This yeah. is immunes are uh, immune to everything. Yeah. Graybeard Crusader might, know be, Crusader might be like Maybe, probably ninety percent sure, but like, random fence man was like, "Nah, you know, you, you gotta you gotta bathe in like immune sweat, and that'll cure the blight, right?" Etc. 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 So, I mean, as far as the story itself goes, I enjoyed uh, the grouting. I'm glad that Nick got to make somebody's head fall off their shoulders. That was really nice. Sam, I think it was head and arm. Like, he kind of got, like, a weird, like, all around him. <laughs> the devil's yeah, head that <laughs> Yeah, that was... I mean, honestly, I can't think of anything else. Uh, anyone else have a particular comment on that particular uh, scenario? Or ready to move I, on? I enjoyed the fact that some of us... It's like a fire drill. Everyone get into the van, single file. Oh, where's Grandma? Let's go get Grandma. Mm-hmm. And... I, I imagined, like, we are picking up the wicker wheelchair and just moving it down the stairs, and she's, like, hurrying us. Oh, yeah, definitely berating the shit out of you. The only other thing I have to add to this is that this is the episode that we captured the Gibsard. Yeah, you did capture the Gibsard. We did capture the Gibsard. And, uh, what else was there? I wonder what the, what the dudes thought as Call of Duty, uh, Deathmatch... Kill confirmed happened. That will be for another day. Yes. But yeah, I think Brownie's right. We should probably get moving on to the next one. What's the next one, Chris? And what was your particular uh, concept with it? So my next one was... My initial concept for it was, there's just no work. At this point, stop loss has fucked up the taker economy so bad in your area that you literally can't find a job, which is when the murder happens. And this so, is also when I recruited Ian to play a cultist. My, my very important question for you on this session was, did you intentionally invite Ian to be an agent of chaos? Yes, I did. Well, then I'm no longer mad at him. <laughs> I'm still mad. <laughs> definitely, definitely trouble him. All right. So I would honestly... What, Brownie, Nick, one of you guys just kind of, I would really like your impression of it. Actually, let me, let me curtail this a little bit. 
Nick, you were the one that seemed to put so much effort into things to watch it just evaporate in your face. Like, so what's your impressions of this particular scenario? I thought this would be a murder investigation where we have to follow this NPC who has their own mind and might not go along with everything you want to see. And I was following him for a bit, waiting for the people to make their move, because just because someone's looking at some famous artist doesn't necessarily mean they're out to get him. And when the people finally move in to confront him, I convince them to meet with us. And then as soon as I convince them to meet with us on the side, Molotovs start flying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that did escalate oh. rather quickly. I should also mention uh, this scenario I titled, I've Been Tired. So my my immediate thought, because my character, like I, I've said a couple times, my character has been geared towards preventing infection. My entire thought was he created a crowd and then threw fire into the crowd where there's a mixture of latents and normal people and whatever people when they're afraid don't think that person next to them that's just the person next to them not an infectious virus carrier who happens to be next to them so we just had an outbreak we either lost half the enclave or all the enclave that was my immediate thought (laughs) and it was very yeah i'll I'll throw molotov whatever wait what crowd yeah yeah yeah, and, and it's not, it's, it wasn't even like he threw it into a group of just random people. He called his followers to distract them and threw the fire at the distraction, which included his followers. His yeah, fellow followers. where you are right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't even remember. What did Ian even name that character? Raccoon. Uh, raccoon, right, yeah. I forgot about it. He was our raccoon leg. Like, I honestly thought the campaign was over right there, or our lives were just going to be the most miserable thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, certainly not expected, but, I mean, I think we bounced back pretty good about it. That was one of the sessions we also had to break up in half a little bit, or did we play it one all the way through? I can't remember. Uh, No, we we broke it in half because the first session was uh, Raccoon being the raccoon leg. Well, the second session was you guys dealing with the fallout of that. Okay. And also having to deal with, like, spooks. Yeah. So, what about the spooks? So, we determined what, exactly, about the murder? Uh, The first thing you determined about the murder is uh, Bird noticed that this was obviously um, the work of an agent of some sort. And if there's one spy in your enclave, there's probably multiple. So... Yeah, case in point, bird. In fact, Raccoon kind of get, did you guys a favor when they threw that Molotov, because um, the best way to clear out a city of spooks, or a location of spooks, is make it as chaotic as possible, so they can't maintain an identity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started the needle. My identity as a community member was very helpful. It's still safe. Yeah. Mm. You, you did a good job, but... You were definitely fucked towards the end. I'm still hoping that the flavor I called in at the end will save my job or situation somehow if we ever revisit, but that's a conversation for later. Um, <laughs> Always something to talk about later. Yeah, so regarding the, the murder mystery aspect, since Ian, as Raccoon, could filter GM stuff through whatever lens he wanted... 
Did you expect us to go murder she wrote on this? Like we I feel like we were trying to do some murder she wrote. Oh yeah, no that that actually was something I was kind of aiming for. Like I I wanted every single scenario had a very specific vibe in mind for me. Like the per, the first scenario was western like hunting down the dude, finding out he's a bad a bad hombre himself. The second second scenario is all about like fixing your caravan and trying to find supply lines. This one is all about trying to help your community by solving a mystery. Like I, I got some like Tom Selleck Magnum PI sort of vibes going on when we were like, oh, I'm squatting down at the murder scene, but I'm really trying to hack all the things and I interview people to get info back to the personable people person that is uh, boots yeah your columbo yeah my columbo while well, i'm like what's his name um you're, you're... mallory, mallory uh, something i was gonna say you're the goth from every single ncis type show <laughs> yeah 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 like here here is the here's the things i hack a man's did for use and do we do wielded keyboards you you solve it now. Yeah, uh, basically. I would like to also apologize to Nick once again for him asking me to do something. I'm like, yeah, but we'd already been playing for several hours that day. I was like, just going off in my own direction. I kind of left him hanging there in the first part. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's not like anything happened. Like... <laughs> That's a side effect of the gauntlet, though. <laughs> we should have we should have invested in you, big specs. <laughs> Most of you did. Okay. I would like to say that I, I stated this in the game. Hopefully Adam leaves it in it. Mm-hmm. That my lack of Ubix specs helped cushion my sanity for all the chaos that would come in this game. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> pretty sure um, pretty sure uh, legs would have would have crumbled this scenario if you had Ubix. Probably. Think, uh, Graber, do you have any any recollections of this scenario that you'd like to discuss? Uh, I mean, it it definitely was an interesting investigation. I know that we used that um, that distraction to go off and find the information we needed, and then it progressed pretty well from there. I don't remember which UBs we captured this this session. Does anyone else remember? I don't either. I think it was the uh, it was the UBs that was like, yeah, you need to bug out. I had it was that, that one and something else. Session? Um, oh, it could be. Hmm. We I had mean, a... Uh, off the top of my head, so I don't remember. Yeah, like, uh, I believe the U-Beast interaction in that game was actually WoW Legacy. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, you went, in, uh, you went into, like, an old WoW server to talk to, talk to your handler in person. Yeah. It was very... It was very... Um, Casablanca, mm-hmm. as we uh, kill boars in the starter forest. Hmm. If and if I'm not, oh my man, I just went country on you all. If and uh, if I remember correctly, we pretty much figured out by the end of it what had happened, but we had not uh, particularly identified one culprit as being the assassin. If I'm not, is that correct? That is correct. Um, you figured that it was actually a group scenario. Um, but you also decided to look into, uh, Father Yoder's, uh, information, 
and that's when you found out the server he had. Mm-hmm. And that's really what, when things broke. Like okay. you may you may not know who uh, who actually like called the hit, but you knew he was in on it. Yeah, we all decided just to let Raccoon take the heat as well. Like we're done with this guy. Let's oh just... yeah, I was turning his ass in. If not that, I was <laughs> tapping his ass. <laughs> I mean, Raccoon deserved it. Raccoon, Raccoon got hanged uh, outside the gates on a giblet, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, no, Raccoon probably died in like Rack. They probably saw. They probably solved for Raccoon before they managed to get out. The so one... that... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm good. Go. I was going to say, the next session is the one I took the least amount of notes on because I think it was the most... Well, one of the most action-packed, but I did actually take a note of the name. Mm-hmm. Wave of Mutilation. Why, yes, that is the name of that, <laughs> that scenario. And that's the one where we, we captured the Ghostopus. <laughs> that is the one where you captured the Ghostopus. And also where I... <laughs> finally figured out what was going on with my son and we had a little bit of a break yeah that's gonna be interesting to have to see where it goes from there like i i I definitely will want to continue on this game somehow just to see like the graybeard bird relationship i'm i'm still surprised that it took till that session for to actually crack because as you said chris i'm not actually jason like james bond i'm q yeah so so I kept, you know that scene where in um, Casino Royale with uh, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig is like, stop touching your ear. Mm-hmm. And um, he doesn't stop touching his ear and the guy sees that and, you know, cue pop yeah. chase. Bird is that guy. No, Bird yeah. is worse than that guy. <laughs> let's let's maybe not use Q because that's that's a, a little rough one. What with the whole QAnon shit. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, is there not, like a yeah? Uh, John Cleese. I mean, he was for quartermaster. Yeah. He's like a, a, oh, Major yeah. Boyle. Quantum. He's the Quantum Leap's best friend. Yeah. The, the hologram uh, dude. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Sam. Yeah. So, wow. so he's like, like, um, oh, like I can fit the role, but obviously I'm not fitting the role properly. Mm-hmm. No. Since this particular scenario is just more or less an extension and the fallout of the the pre, you know the one before it, uh, what was your particular take on how to handle the post uh, investigation and so forth? Uh, my idea for the post investigation was basically what you guys did: round up a posse and go go to their front door. All right. So we, we had a lot of, I'm going to kind of take the lead here just a tad bit. But So we had the uh, vignettes in the beginning. So mm-hmm. that's when, of course, uh, all that Bird and Greybeard discussed stuff. We had that. Uh, I had Boots take the list, um, go through the list, and cross-reference it with people who lived in the Enclave. And mm-hmm. then I rode some failures. And yeah, you, you tried to be a good guy. And I got By, sh- like, helping out a taker. And I got shot in the chest. And thank God about that armor the, at the beginning of the, that session. Mm-hmm. And I just want to set the stage on that because that moment, and then we have this action scene where we uh, track down pretty much the rest of the 
double agents and sort of a shootout and the cinematic and stuff like that. And you kind of go to the scene with the interrogation. And, I mean, <laughs> this is where Adam shines and stuff is I escalate quickly in uh, games and life, too, in general. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, so, you know, I do this good deed in the beginning, and I get shot in the chest, and then there's this interrogation scene. Now, while I kind of aim to be the bad guy to save Bird from dirtying his hands and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. a couple bad rolls, and then, <laughs> then uh, I, you know, just shoot somebody dead in a chair, which, you know, and then that particular moment, which... I haven't edited these yet. I'm sure that I'll probably leave a tad bit more of that in there. But uh, that scene kind of started dragging out. So, uh, oddly enough, after I commit an act of murder, I immediately throw an X card on the table saying we're done with this scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. We're done. So X cards are very important for us. Yeah. Like, I... uh... I triggered that, if I recall. No, it was, it it wasn't anything in particular. So I mean, I'm a family man, and you know stuff like that. And then like, we were trying, you were trying to think of different angles. Like, well, if we can't threaten this, we'll threaten our family and stuff like that. But at at that point in time, I just felt that the scene, if we kept going down this rabbit hole, it was going to turn into this Eli Roth. Um, revenge porn hostile whatever i mean it was it was it had the potential to turn into something that i didn't want the game to be like you know one one evil act is enough we don't need to just make it all us being bastards if if we had gotten to that point i actually would have abstracted it out just so we wouldn't like have to talk about that because i i do i do think sometimes things can go a little too dark in red markets yeah well i mean i'm i'm glad that we ended it when we did so we can kind of redeem. And then I tried to, uh, I think I broke pretty much. If not that, there was something that immediately happened after. I remember I hit, it's cracked. You crum- I think you crumbled. I crumbled. Yes. Yeah. He crumbled and he uh, froze on the van right over. Yeah. So, um, so since we're talking about that, my perspective as the other instigator in that scene, I guess, as the other interrogator, I, Bird had a lot of ideations of violence in character, but I was also trying to play him as, this is what I want to do, and this is what I'll try to do for whatever catharsis, emotional, or whatever, but there's also the objective reality of what I want accomplished. Mm -hmm. Which was why I tried to, like, mind game them with the corpses, and I was trying to point out... This is what happens when you fight us. Like, you're not as pro as you are. And when you when you had them talk about me having no field experience, I was trying to figure out a way to reverse that on them. And like, oh, oh, so so this is what field experience is. And corpses, corpses, corpses. We killed like 30 or 40 of them by that point. Yeah, you guys did a pretty good job. You'd been pretty thorough. So I was trying to figure out, like, so I'd say it was closer to like eight, not thirty or forty. 
No, I mean collectively over the entirety of the campaign. Oh, fair enough. We yeah, killed, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We are... killed like twenty guys. No, we killed like fifteen guys at the caravan. Another fifteen guys at the farm. Um, another seven guys at <laughs> at the enclave itself. Eight guys, even. He's he's checking the tattoos, the lines that he's cut, he's cut into his arm. Oh, this one was wiggly. That must have been a vector. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. So I was trying to figure out some hardcore stuff with some, like, immediately Eli Roth revenge porn torture hostile things, but not focusing on that because I was trying to do a cerebral thing. Yeah, I feel you. And, and then we got, um, that would have probably taken too long. And at the, once the X card dropped and everything went well, I was cool with that because obviously it would take too long. Yeah. Because in this essence, my, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make right now, uh, the, the goal I'm trying to make right now is the interrogation should have pro- probably could have used the um, negotiation mechanics somehow as we push them and we mess with them and we reach to a point of where they give us X amount of information or mm. they resist it and they give us nothing. Oh. So, so I, I do want to say I, I really like how we did basically a, a snatch and grab for one of our uh, instead of a negotiation one snare, one session, I thought that was just a cool idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to own the, the triggering aspect. Like that was on no, me, it's... and I understand. And, no, um, I don't want you to. Worry. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't want uh, you to feel bad. In fact, I want you. I would like to ask you now, and mm-hmm. I'll cut this off if you say no. So there will be no record of this, but. I think that that would be an important thing to leave in a game because that shows how tables handle situations as they arrive. I mean, I thought that that went out well. I thought that that showed how a game group, like I said beforehand, can communicate and respect one another and kind of, you know, work past certain things to go for the overall narrative. So, yeah, it showed maturity from both the player and character sides of things. Like we're all we're all pretty emotionally intelligent people except for me. I'm a goddamn gremlin, but I at least able to keep my shit to my mm-hmm. ma- keep my shit inside. Yeah. Sure. Though so, um to tell you like since since um we accomplished it your way, I think my way I sort of already um gave you what my goal was in the interrogation scene. And um, I think we touched upon it yeah. when the thing got dropped. It was, I need to get as much value from these people as possible. But the, in the end, when it came down to, is A or B, A or B, and then the last guy, A or B, and I abstracted out, that was fine. Yeah, awesome. Like, I would have personally enjoyed seeing a little bit more of that somehow, but, yeah. like, what happens, happens. And the thing that entered the scene is one of the very few notes that I took this session, which was negative one bounty for a, quote, weed reference. Yes. That was the uh, the character kind of getting good and getting back into the, the, the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, you know, there's a lot going on. And I th- uh, in this scenario, this is actually where you, this, yeah, this is a scenario where you found out about Bird. So, how about your, Brandon? What's your take on how things went down for your character in this particular one? Well, I know that Chris uh, invoked the thunder nap, which did not have to occur this time. It's true. Uh, 
through the previous uh, gauntlet. Uh, yes, we didn't have the depression nap this time. No, nope. uh, but basically, you know, it was uh, Bird coming to to grips with things that he kind of ignored signs of in the past and kind of figuring out how he wanted to move forward with this relationship he's had. Greybeard or me? Um... Both. Ah. I, I miss all the signs. I put everything together. I finally paid attention intentionally or unintentionally ignoring. And then we had our kind of heart to heart. I don't want to play you beasts right now, mm. which is the sign of something is seriously wrong with Greybeard. Mm. Was, was this the session where I had that lap pillow crying like a child sort of thing going on? Yeah, yeah, that that happened this session. This was a bad session for Bird, and honestly, it kind of feels like Bird sort of became the protagonist of the the uh, campaign. Did he? I feel like he was very much randomly snipe a shot from the blue. Oh yeah, no, like it, it's and not to say that that's like a bad thing or anything, because sometimes you you need to have like someone to draw things around. Like I would say for last year for elevation decoy kind of came the protagonist for the uh, campaign just because we needed someone to be the face that was not you know shot in the eye like how, how do y'all feel about that like brownie and nick and adam which which thing you, you like, mentioned like two things there <laughs> like the whole idea of like the protagonist for a gauntlet sort of thing because it it sort of feels like in any of the sorts of these things we need to have like an overarching narrative and it helps if you have like one focal character for that I don't think we had an overarching protagonist for either Gauntlet. I think it was okay. a group. Fair. I think, the, uh, at least for the first one, I think it was the group identity that was the protagonist and not like, oh, for sure. person. I, I'd, I'd agree with you there. But winners were very much a group activity. I, I do agree that, that Bird was kind of a kind of the glue that held a lot of this together just because of his uh, interpersonal relationships uh, with two of the other, his two dads. Like, that became a thing we riffed off of and played off of a lot. Yeah, and as, as the uh, scenarios came, up, came along, it became more and more clear that there was going to be, like, spook shit happening anyways, because that's sort of how I wrote this, wrote this game. In the film or TV series of this campaign, I would say either Leg or Boots would have been the protagonist protagonist. Like, if Wire, I think I'm... Definitely not Well, yeah. I, I see that a little bit differently. I see Bird as kind of our Dexter of the campaign. Uh, like, yes, he's doing some heinous stuff, but we kind of still like him a lot. But he does some more heinous stuff, but we still really like him a lot. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. I see him developing as that kind of protag. <laughs> yeah, but if we were in Dexter, I would be... Um, what's... Uh, you know the gif where it's like, surprise, motherfucker, that character... Yeah, the the sergeant, whatever his name was. Yeah, um, like I think, like character, like story, story construction wise, I'm that character. While um, the protagonist slot would be either Greybeard, legs, or Boots, because Boots was the face and instigator on getting jobs and talking about people, and we were sort of, um, he was sort of an emotional direction. I was, every, I was everything that you all weren't. That's what I was trying to be. I th- actually would argue that it's Legs that's a protagonist because he's Ishmael and just got drug around with a bunch of crazy fuckers on a boat. Yeah, that that was my other my other 
um, suggestion would be legs is it like as you said Ishmael here Arthur or, Dent yeah legs Arthur Dent uh, or uh, Greybeard is Mr. Bean <laughs> so he's an alien from another planet pretending to be a human <laughs> and like having a weird fucking car that's great well I, th- I think we're gonna, we're kind of... yeah alright well we should probably get back to like the scenario well yeah, 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 yeah. Robert. But this was an interesting um, meta discussion. Yeah, interesting aside. I think mm-hmm. the the ironic part is, folks, that the last thing that we did that took so long was the one that I, I honestly can say the least about just because, I mean, not that it's any reflection of my opinion of it, but it's this last, the last, you know, section of it where we, you know, fight the big bads and all that. It was, we pretty much played a three-hour combat scene. Yeah, and it was... Uh, it's more interesting to listen to. It's not interesting to talk about. Yeah, it was. I do want to just kind of mention that um, I enjoyed the fact that we were able to, you know, pull in these Mass Effects, dra- Dragon Age kind of things where, you know, we gather goodwill and ref- and resources, go in for that final battle. Uh, I thought it was. Your handling of uh, me directing the outside forces was great. Uh, it was fatigue and a con- you know combination of you know downside of the theater to mine, and then us working in three separate parts here. There was a I, for the scenes that I was not involved in, I had more trouble kind of following along with them. But I mean, it's just, yeah. but you know, like, oh, all in all, I loved it. I loved it. I had a lot of fun. I, we were so tired, we uh, just kind of all right. Well, that's that's it. Well, good game, guys. But uh, so you know, for those of you li- who you know listen to that session online, uh, yeah, sorry about that. We were, I think, we were fucking exhausted. <laughs> we were we were tired. We did that on a Monday, I think. Uh, that mm-hmm. this spilled over a bit and all, but I mean, all in all, I felt re- I enjoyed it i was i felt rewarded the events of all that kind of made me think of retiring my character for a more administrative role in in the conda the uh danny glover i'm getting too old for this kind of thing oh yeah you could definitely like end up as one of the uh defensemen leads like just squad tactic organizer dudes yeah you got a desk job now you can tell the point uh, in the recording where I, I was definitely feeling that exhaustion and I knew that everybody else's energy levels were really low. And uh, Greybeard had a little bit of a break and, and got into the medicine cabinet there. And yep. Woke things back up. Nothing quite like getting into drugs to really kind of pep everybody up. It's like, oh no, what are you doing? There was a lot of characters would probably know what to do, but players was a little lost in the end, when we were, um, what do you call it, Kool-Aid manning through walls? Yeah, uh, that, I admit, I should have put a little more work into, but as we've all mentioned, I, I also was exhausted. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely put some more polish into it, because um, I, I do plan on like writing this up and trying to pitch it, or uh, sell it Creative Commons. Cool. Next next time you run it or when you write it up, I definitely think you should do a floor plan. I don't mean like very specific floor plan, but at least an idea of areas like this is a prison area. This is because we were just sort of like 
at one point we're like, when are we gonna get there? <laughs> yeah, that's on me. I'll uh, I'll do that next time. Uh, I admit I'm not super visually oriented, which is why I don't really think about maps and things. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I don't I don't mean like map out every doorway, every window, every whatever, but a good idea of like distance and. No, so, I, I get what you mean. I get yeah. what you mean. Like we we spent a lot of time wandering the halls as burner hobos in the facility, and, and yeah. once I found some prisoners, I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm gone." I escorted like the five people I found out. I'm done. <laughs> oh, we played Counter Strike. One player got this got the hostages out. I mean, basically, yeah. yeah. I'm definitely looking at my character sheet that I haven't touched since this game ended, with the one athletics natural four uh, effective. The extra self control, the eight killing, six stun to the body, and the six stun. <laughs> we had a time. Yeah, and all the all the stun of the head was from the soma, wasn't it? Uh huh. Gotta feel a little yeah. better about this. I gotta feel a little more better about this. I need to feel just a little bit more better about this. Okay, I'm good. I had a random bet that all the hostages were going to be dead by the end. <laughs> well, a bunch of them were <laughs> like that one guy that we didn't notice for a while. Hey, we got some out. I was expecting it all just to be a, uh, you know. We got enough that we still have goodwill with the community, I suspect. Yeah. And other communities, because a lot of people we uh, rescued at first weren't even from our community. They were from wherever else. Yeah. Yeah, you've actually, you will get a positive ref spot of um, basically, like, community savior. Hmm. So... You know, since we're kind of abstract in this particular part of it here, I mean, uh, was everybody, I think, say, start with Nick here. What was, uh, by the end of this campaign, uh, how did how did legs change in your mind? And, uh, you know, where, where do you see that character going, you know, after the credits roll? I... Oh God, why'd you start with me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> the rest of us were talking all the time. <laughs> I honestly would think that Legs would still want to not infect people and subject them to being infected and stuff like that. But I feel like he's also wanting to get to a less crazy area. Maybe meet up with some more latents like that one latent only caravans not a bad place to be um leper leper yeah maybe so, not precisely in leper but something like leper yeah my initial concept for this uh mini campaign was both stop loss and leper show up at the same time but i thought that would be a little too chaotic <laughs> yeah I, I apologize nick for calling on you i'm this is I'm a teacher. You know how the like the quiet ones, the ones <laughs> get called on. Like, no, Ooh. no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Nothing. Not, don't worry. I'm not. I I just had to think for a second because I didn't think of where he'd be because <laughs> technically he got his arm and two legs and he was happy, which is what I wanted. Like he was happy with that, which is what the end goal was. I didn't think of what he would do after he got his one arm and two legs. Yeah. I think I already answered that question before I asked everybody else. I was just, I'm retiring boots. Uh, you know, I, I, he served his purpose. I, he's not continuing the narrative with Greybeard and Bird. He was there at an important time. I kind of worked on, uh, through 
uh, vignettes trying to narratively get my dependence away from the life that I was leading. Uh, kind of had that revelation. You know, I can't save my biological son, per se, but I can save these people from making this kind of mistake. So, you know. Yeah. So that and that's was, like, that is an interesting story to tell, too. Mm-hmm. I... I Maybe I go about this stuff wrong, guys. You all can tell me, but it's even Nick in the game that you're running right now. Whenever I start a game, I have a con. I don't really invest a lot of thought into backstories other than like two or three, three line thing, and just kind of I fill them up as they go based on the situations that we get in. Don't worry, I do the same. Okay. I'm very similar in that. I won't come up with, like, my character's backstory, but I'll come up with the backstory for, like, their dependents. Okay. So that gives you, uh, that gives the folks who play the dependents and the vignettes a little more to work with, and that gives you time to build up how they're reacting, how, like, how it's going in the field. Yeah. Like, when I initially decided to play, play Operator in uh, the 10K, she was not a stone-cold monstrous bitch. It's just, it kind of happened like, oh, yeah, no, she's awful. Yeah. Fuck this person. So what about, uh, logically, it seemed like Bird would be the one to follow to, through to, but I'm kind of interested in Grey, Greybeard's take. Like, what is Greybeard kind of, how did they grow? And then um, how do you see everything working as uh, after the credits roll? What was Greybeard's hero's journey? <laughs> I think a lot of it is just rebuilding his relationship with bird after it completely fell apart. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit uh, amongst ourselves, maybe not on, on, uh, on tape or on bite. I don't know how you want to say that. Um, yeah, recorded. Thank you. Uh, not on the recording, but, um, depending on how things went that last session, Greybeard was either going to make a break or, you know, try to reconcile. And I think the, showing that he's trying to reconcile is getting into a new silly, stupid game to play with his son that now can be multiplayer rather than bird just kind of watching and, and interacting just through talking with uh, Greybeard about it. Actual like bonding time. Yeah. Which was Montana cryptid rancher. I, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Montana cryptid rancher. Awesome. I think we added Montana. It was just cryptid rancher, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> so how about, how about Bird? Like you, you kind of went through the most shit. Like how how did all, how did everything go for you from beginning to end, and uh, what happens after the credits? Um, to address the question, uh, as well as what was my player conception of the character and what it turned out to be, you know, the the three line graph, mm-hmm. what I what I created, what the GM saw, what I played. Um. Bird was always going to, in my mind, be nervous like a bird. The re- there's a reason he's called Bird, and it isn't just because he has the bird. You know, he's a little twitchy. It's always on a swivel. And then, like, we got into a lot of emotional stuff, of which I hope was fine overall, and it seems like it was fine. Like, no one, no one was uncomfortable with it, but I did put a lot of... Um, outside knowledge into how he would have reacted to an extreme ongoing stress scenario. Reasonable. And he wound up being more badass and less badass 
in ways and if we, where we touched upon earlier, in where he is a weird sort of character. He's Uncle Jesse. Like, there's there's the wreck part of him, and there's the fact of, oh, he's actually competent. And that was a very interesting dynamic, but character-wise, I was very pleased with how Bird turned out. Like, mm-hmm. um, all those emotional moments, and knowing looks, and conversations, and the fact that he kept raising that flag of, I'm definitely a spook, by action, word, and thought process. Because yeah. he's not trained to hide that. He was trained to do that on the off chance he needed to do that, but he wasn't that guy. Like, he was always going to be the guy who would crawl through a sewer, knock out a brick, and then wire in something to a telephone cable. Versus a guy who would be like, okay, I'm going to meet the contact, we're going to do a dread drop, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Oh, there's a car chase now, car chase time. Sounds like and, you're describing uh, a support character. Yeah, you're you're basically Rusty Venture as opposed to Brock Van- Samson. Yeah, something like that. And that was enjoyable, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. As for where he's going, where he wants to be, and what happens to him as the credit rolls, like where he wants to be is probably Station Chief of Conda. Like, he was Station Chief of Conda, but now he's Station Chief of Conda, and Conda might be a little bit more relevant. So maybe he retires as a taker, maybe not. It really depends on how that plays out. Like, he is, out of the, th- uh, out of the four characters, he's is probably the most vague in an epilogue because of all the variables left in the air. Like, he sold out Mr. Greaves. He called in a favor that we don't know the result of. He made sure to grab hard drives, vials, and insurance items. And he, like, he, like, like, he doesn't know what's going up on the upper echelon. Like, he identified as a player on the ground, like, as an agent on the ground, this is all corporal action. This isn't state action. And maybe, like, he might be able to find a senator or a section chief or a patron that would be like, yeah, you did good, and I could use all that stuff, and maybe you can be useful in the power plays in the recession. So I'll protect you and let you keep your job. Or maybe he's a burn spy. But yeah. he's still a burn spy that Corpo and the company still use. Because right now he's an official guy. And he could be even more official or less official. Because you could either have him be like, you're no longer with the agency, but you're now a contractor. So the question is whether he's like a season one Michael Weston or like a season seven Michael Weston. Yeah. Currently, the question is whether he's season one Michael Weston or season seven Michael Weston, because he values his dad too much to leave him in the lurch. Like, everything he's done is to protect himself and his dad and insulate him from the life. Yeah, that makes sense. That succeeded. Yeah, that succeeded. Like, even if he winds up getting shot by a sniper at a thousand meters, his dad is going to be safe. Yeah, that's we definitely did play. You know, the two two sides of that coin with with you trying to protect your dad and me playing kind of like. I don't think he ever thought of himself as a taker. It was more like dependent plus plus, you know. And I tried to play him like that a little bit. Like, you know, you don't you never, you never woke up one day and realized, oh, I'm a taker now. It was just this uh, is what's going on today. Yeah, like um, what do you call it? 
if Bird dies in a mysterious explosion and JDAM, and like he has no recourse at all, no matter what, I feel like he would have laid the groundwork for Grabia is protected, and if anything would happen to him, hell would fall upon whoever touched him. Okay, I can get, be- I can get behind that vibe. If, if that makes any sense. Like, doesn't matter what happens to me. Like, I'm at I'm at the pier, and I'm pushing the boat away as the zombies come. Like, I mean, I was kind you of vis- I mean? visualizing this whole thing just, you know, like I mentioned the road, but, you know, the, the entire way that your all's arc ended is, you know, there's a character who's coughing who may be sick. We don't know. Like, they've taken care of this problem and all. And, I mean, I like that open-ended nature to it. And uh, I think, you know, Y'all did. I enjoyed yeah, watching as a player, and also as just a, a fly on the wall. I enjoyed throughout the course of the game watching the dynamic between father and son characters there, and you know that was uh, that was cool, man. And I appreciate y'all working that angle in on this. It was cool. Like, thank, um, thank you, Brownie, for uh, jumping in on that. I don't think we would have. You know, your willingness to play the father and be a dependent and all that, that really added a uh, a dynamic to the game to make it memorable for me. It's like, definitely uh, seen uh, done that way before in any red market, so it was a lot of fun to be able to take part in it. I like that we tend to try new things out here at RPX. Mm-hmm. Well, looks like that kind of covers all that. Does anyone have anything else to add about your experience with the Gauntlet 2020? Um, I got a couple. Um, like one, how we all ended. Um, very was very was very good. Like we talked about like what we thought saw about the epilogue, but I feel like how we betrayed the vagueness of fate at the end was very good. Like, um, for example, Bird and Greybeard. Bird is stopping his packing of the Golbad, and like he doesn't know what's going to happen. So he just sits down at the couch with Greybeard to play Cryptid Rancher. Or, oh god, yeah, um, that scene was fucking beautiful. And um, Boots and Nick, you're just... Was it like Shane? Is it like Shane? No, it's not like Shane. Like Shane dies at the end, right? No, Shane just walks off into the, footset, the sunset. Does yeah, so, all that annoying kids just like, Shane! Shane! Yeah, like, we got that feeling. Like, the adventure could continue. Yeah. And um, that's that was something I really much enjoyed. And the, the second observation is... Overall, we handled everything very, very maturely. And I want to compliment the table of being able to handle everything very maturely. Because I've been at tables where things have really gotten um, weird, so to say. Like, there have been um, in-real-life stuff that happened, and it was like, oh, God, why why do you guys have to be like this? We're in college. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I really, really much enjoyed and appreciated that. Awesome. Yeah, we try to be pretty, um, pretty mature folks here at RPX, <laughs> despite being, you know, a bunch of idiots who like making fun of each other all the time. Mm. The podcast is essentially an excuse for us to get together and play games with friends. I mean, that's what keeps me going on. Yeah, who are you people? <laughs> Shit, I don't know. Mm. Wait, are you the one with the annoying voice, or are you the one who like basically does nothing but uh, records red markets during Gen Con? Either? 
<laughs> I'm teasing. I definitely see I'm one of the ones with the annoying voice. No, you're not. <laughs> no. I kind of uh, have my closing thought for the for this. Uh, you know, jump right really in, everybody. No, I'm really looking forward to Gauntlet 2021. I hope to be in the consideration to be a part of that. And at this point, I kind of feel like a mooch and like I need to learn how to run games. Uh, I've tried in the past and it hasn't gone well, but I want to be able to contribute that way at some point as well. Get your ass in gear, Davis. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, dude, you're, you're, I don't feel, you're, you're one of us, man. Don't you're, you're a cast member. Um, I'm, you know, I wouldn't want to do Gauntlet 2021 without you. Or Nick, or Chris, or you know, Jesse, just whoever I wants in it. Like, if you know, how much is it worth to you? Uh, <laughs> well, all I'm gonna say is that I could, I could be a cast member and a mooch at the same time. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I wouldn't mind doing something more once I have some time. Uh, get back to me in ten weeks. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a plan. Awesome. Well, it it was fun. It was. Um, trying at times it was hard being a single parent it not my wife has not left me she was at work for the bulk of of this going on here but i'm i'm glad we did this i'm glad we got this accomplishment this little uh merit badge what have you here and yeah folks thank you we did it we climbed this mountain chris thanks for playing thanks for running i mean um i wasn't gonna (laughs) run myself so you know, I'm I'm thankful somebody picked up the torch there, and uh, you know I'm always willing to ju- just abase myself for content. Well, I appreciate it, man. And Nick, Jesse, Brownie, thanks for playing, man. It was a blast. I'm I'm proud of what we get accomplished. It was a blast and a half. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Well, folks, we've been doing this for a while. We're going to go ahead and put a pin in this episode. So um, thank you for tuning in. I forget that this is actually a talky-talky episode. So, you know, if you like what you're hearing and would like to help contribute, you know, please check out our Patreon, which is... patreon.com, the Roleplaying Exchange. Yeah, patreon.com, the Roleplaying Exchange. We're at uh, facebook.com slash Roleplaying Exchange. And you can reach us on Twitter at rp. E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E. I don't know why I spell that out, but I just want to. And yeah, so thank you for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you all later. Bye-bye. And what y'all? Chris? Oh, God, we did not think this through. Well, you, y'all didn't think this through. I always think all this shit through. <laughs> <laughs>